When I was growing up, I was not good at athletics at all. And I would dread when physical education time rolled around um, because I was just so discoordinated and weak looking and the whole nine yards. And I remember in the spring of each year, we'd have baseball season. And in physical education class, they get us out there and they mark up teams. And I used to hate when they would choose teams because I would be the last guy that was chosen. They would even go through, if the girls were in, I can remember standing out there and they'd pick all the guys and pick all the girls and I'd be left standing there. Nobody wanted me on their team. And when it was my time up at bat, it was just pathetic. Everybody knew that I'd be lucky if I was able to hit the ball and get it. First of all, if I hit the ball, that was going to be a miracle. Usually I would strike out, and then if I did hit the ball, it would be uh, even more of a challenge to get it to go anywhere. If I, a lot of times I didn't even get past the pitcher's man, et cetera. If I got a line drive, I thought, you know, I'd die and gone to heaven with that, uh, et cetera. So when I would walk up and get the bat and get ready to hit, all of the outfielders and the infielders would just step in. There was no sense in having an outfield because everybody knew that David was not going to get that ball into the outfield. So you didn't have to worry about that. And they also stepped in because they knew I probably wasn't going to get it very far advanced in the infield. And so if you were really close, you could catch it and it would all be over with. And usually when I'd either strike out or I'd hit the ball and they'd catch it, the pain, the embarrassment was momentarily over with and I would just sort of shrink to the back of the line. I was more than willing to let other guys take my turn at bat. And this just went on year after year until I got a physical education coach one year named Mr. Pittman. And Mr. Pittman was going to refuse to allow me to continue to struggle the way I was struggling. So let me show you what he did one day. Kendrick, if you would come up and help me demonstrate what Mr. Pittman did. It was my turn up at bat. Everybody stepped forward like they always did. And I got the bat, and Kendrick, if you will hold the bat, Kendrick's going to represent me up there, and I hold it just like you if you're going to play, all right? And I'm standing there, and I'm getting ready for it to happen. <laughs> and this is what Mr. Pittman did. Without asking my permission or saying a word, he walked up behind me, he took the bat, put my hands around it, and then he put his hands around the bat. And then we drew back together. And I wish you could have seen the expressions on the folks. All those guys were in the outfield. They started trucking, realizing they better get out to the outfield. <laughs> and all that infield crowd started backing up. And I realized in that moment it wasn't just me hitting that ball. It was Mr. Pittman and I together who were going to be hitting that ball. And that ball came across with his eye and his power. We hit that thing together. And I, I, was, I was so shocked watching the ball launch off that bat. I couldn't move there for a minute. I just said, shot, man, I can't believe we did that together. Thank you, Kendrick. And I learned an important lesson that day that what I couldn't do alone, Mr. Pittman and I were able to do together. It was his eye on the ball with his vision and his ability to place the ball where he wanted to. And it was his strength combined with what little strength I had that launched that ball out there. 
It took my participation in the process combined with his vision, his strength, and his ability. And folks, when it comes to not just knowing the will of God, but living the will of God, a lot of us are up to bat, and the infield has stepped in, and we're pretty much expecting that we're going to blow it yet again. So often we know what we're supposed to do with the will of God. In other words, we've got an idea of where God wants us to go, but living it is an entirely different ball game. And so it's like, how are we going to launch out there and do what God has called us to do? And in Romans chapter 12, what the Lord is trying to say to us is, I know you're up to bat. I know you feel totally overwhelmed and intimidated by it. But what I want you to understand is that you're not up to bat alone in this business of living out my will. I'm going to step right up there beside you and together... We are going to place the ball where it needs to go. We're going to place your life where your life needs to go. And together we're going to launch this business of living my will together. Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And as you turn there, Paul is writing here, the Apostle Paul, founder of most of the churches in the New Testament, to the church at Rome, which would have been in the capital city. We've been looking at these 13 directives that he gives in how to live the Christian life. Last week we looked at those first few, let love be genuine, verse 9, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And now today we're going to move to verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Three instructions. Three commands. Let's look at them. How do we live God's will? How do we launch the ball with Him? My sermon outline is in the final page of your bulletin, so please follow along. The first thing he says is don't be slowful. The idea there is literally don't be a procrastinator. Have you ever had something that you knew you needed to do? You may even have wanted to do it, but man, you held off of it and you just pushed it back and pushed it back and pushed it back, kicked the can down the road, made one excuse after another as to why you couldn't do it because you really didn't want to do it or you dreaded doing it or maybe even more, you lacked self-confidence to do it. I'm so scared I'm going to mess up that I'm, I'm just going to put this off as long as I can. I know I'm not going to enjoy this at all, so I'm just going to put this off as long as I can. I know this is going to really be difficult for me to do. And the idea of this word here, slowful, is to be slow. The old term we used to use, pokey. It means to be hesitant. It means I have really no confidence in myself. And Paul is saying, don't be that way. Don't live your life in hesitation. Always looking for the unseen consequences that are you are anticipating that are going to be negative. It's the idea that, you know, I look and I say, well, this might be the will of God, but I'm not sure it's the will of God, and so therefore I will not do it. How many of us go through life 
and we just hold back on doing what we really have a deep sense in our gut that God wants us to do and what he wants us to accomplish because we look at it and we say, well, I, I just don't think I can do that. I just don't think I can accomplish that. And sometimes the way we deal with that constantly is say, well, I'm just not sure if it's God's will or not. I'm just not sure if it's God's will. And that's what we say over and over and over again about one situation after another. Well, we just can't step out and do this. We just can't step out and do that. And I can't do that because I'm just not sure it's the will of God. I'm just not sure it's the will of God. And we end up sitting back and doing nothing. We never accomplish anything for the Lord because we're always not sure it's the will of God. And that becomes our excuse for doing nothing because we're just not sure it's the will of God. Often churches play that game. We just sit back and never accomplish too much for the Lord because we're just not sure it's the will of God. May I say to you this morning, the Lord would rather you go out to, in His name to His glory and do the wrong thing than when you just we sit back and do nothing. Doing nothing is as much disobedience as going out and making a mistake. When I was raising my son, every once in a while, he would want to do something for us, or, and he would do it, but he'd sort of mess it up like any kid's going to mess it up. When my fun son just started, he wanted to color, and he got crayons, and we were so excited to see Jonathan start to color, and we just wanted, I just couldn't wait to see what my son was going to color. I didn't realize that the side wall in the dining room was going to be the canvas that he was going to use to do his coloring with. And I walked in one day, and there was crayon marks all over the side of the wall. Now, let me tell you, I did not look at my son and say, you nasty little snotty-nosed son of yours. Look what you've done. You've messed up the side wall. You know what I did? I looked at that, and if Jonathan had done it, it couldn't have been any better for me if Rembrandt had done that. I couldn't even bring myself to paint the wall because it was what my son had done and so many times we think that when we do something for the Lord it's got to be a Rembrandt type of thing and God's saying just get your crayons out and color to my glory and because my child did it I'm going to be happy and excited about it I'm not expecting you to do some big perfect thing don't sit back all the time and just be so hesitant now another thing is opposition and problems so often we think well I can't do it because look at this problem what happens when a problem or opposition or an obstacle comes up must not be the will of God must not be the will of God. There's an obstacle. There's a problem. It must not be the will of God. Folks, let me share this with you. If it's God's will, you can just mark it down. You're going to have opposition, you're going to have obstacles, and you're going to have problems. If you're doing what God's calling you to do, the devil's going to show up and raise Cain. There are going to be all kinds of problems. So don't let obstacles... Often when you get the obstacles and the problems coming, that is confirmation that you were doing what the Lord wants you to do. In the years that I've been a pastor, I have never led a church to take any step of faith in whatever we did for the Lord that we didn't have obstacles and problems that came up. It strengthens your faith. It grows you in your relationship with the Lord. It forces us to get on our knees and believe God to do what we realize that we cannot do ourselves. Now notice what he says is don't be slowful in what? Don't be slowful, don't be hesitant in zeal. Zeal is the idea of having the energy to engage God's will and live it. It means to do the job well and to do the job completely. It means I don't give God that which is half-hearted, lazy, and leftovers. Now let me ask you a question. Do you want a lazy, leftover blessing from God? No, we don't want any lazy, leftover blessings from God. God doesn't give lazy, leftover blessings. But we got to give it our best 
And we've got to give serving Him, doing it completely, and then we're going to get a complete blessing. You give complete obedience, you're going to get a complete blessing. You give it your best, the Lord will always show up and give you His best. Now, next, verse 11. Live as someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. Be fervent. Be fervent. The word there means to burn. It means to boil. Think about taking a pot of water, placing it on an oven, and what happens when you bring it to a boil? Well, if you look down in that water, what do you see? You see energy. That water is moving all over the place. Bubbles coming up all over the place. Steam coming up off of it. you got something going on in there when it begins to boil. You get movement. You get energy. There's excitement in that pot. If you've got something that is dirty or contagious or diseased or whatever, and you drop it into boiling water and let it stay there for a while, it cleans out and kills whatever it is that's diseased in there. I want to tell you a funny story. Years ago when I was a teenager, I went to work in a Baptist mission center in Richmond. It's called Hillside Baptist Center. And I worked with a bunch of ladies there who were close to retirement, and we ministered in a, uh, right out from a community that was public housing, and we had kids coming in there all the time and working with them. But these ladies were obsessed with cleanliness. Now, I was about 16, 17 years of age at that time, and I was male, and I was not obsessed with cleanliness. So maybe they weren't as obsessed as I thought they were, just my perspective on it was that they were obsessed with cleanliness. But they told the story that one of the ladies decided that she was going to clean and sterilize all the plastic forks and knives. So she boiled up this water and put all the plastic forks and knives in there and left them in there to boil in the water. And she came back about an hour later and it was one big plastic glob that was boiling there in that water. That heat touches anything and it changes it completely. You hold your hand or anything else over top of boiling water and what's going to happen? It's going to moisten and soften what you hold over top of it. And when he says here that we're to be fervent, the idea of that fervency is that the work of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us is boiling over. There is action and there is movement in our lives when the Spirit of the Lord is at work. There is an excitement that comes from Jesus. Not that we work up ourselves, but there's an excitement that comes from Jesus when we are boiling for Him. There's that sense that whatever we touch in His name and to His glory is changed, not because of us, but because of His power that's flowing through us. And He moistens us to His sensitivity, to His presence and His care. Now, how do you and I reach this place of being fervent, of boiling over for Jesus? Some of us are boiling, but it's not for Jesus. We're boiling over in our anger and boiling over in this and boiling over. That's not what he's talking about. When he says you need to be fervent in spirit, he's saying you are boiling over in the sense of the Spirit's work in your life. Jesus said, 
I have come to send fire on the earth, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. Jesus said, I have come to send fire on the earth. In other words, Jesus said, one of the purposes of my coming is to put a fire inside of you. Folks, when we turn Christianity into something that is sedate, that we don't do much of anything, we just sort of sit back with our faith like a spiritual couch potato and watch life go by, that is a fake false Christianity. What Jesus said I came to do is put a fire in you, a fire in you to love me, a fire in you to serve me, a fire in you to know the power and presence of my work in you and around you. Jesus came to set a fire in his church, and when the church seeks the face of Jesus and asks for a work of the Holy Spirit, it is only a matter of time before he sets his fire loose in us. And if a church wants to kill itself, the best thing it can do is quench the work of the Holy Spirit and put the fire of God out. Flow with what he wants to do. And don't be afraid of it. Jesus said, I came to send a fire among you. We don't have to be afraid of his fire, but don't try to control his fire. You just let him burn in you and through you any way he wants to. Now, the fire of God is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, he came in tongues of fire. That's why the Bible says that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why in the book of Acts, you see multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit. It's not my fire. It's His fire. And His fire doesn't go out. Now, how do you and I know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, that fire I'm talking about? Real simple. You just ask for it. You just ask for it. Lord, I want to ask you to boil over inside of me. I want to ask you to release the power of the Holy Spirit of God in my life and through my life. And if you you don't feel like asking for it, then can I beg you to do this? God, would you make me hungry for that fire? Lord, would you make me thirsty for that fire? Lord, would you plant and grow and burn a desire in me for you to the place that I'm not going to be satisfied until the fire of your presence is burning in me and I'm experiencing what you want me to experience and what you have for me? Lord, would you release with inside of me and grow with inside of me that kind of a desire, When his fire burns within us, we have a divine purpose we begin to live with. He empowers us to have a divine purpose. In other words, I'm living my life for the purpose that God has for my life. I am living out the purpose that he has for my life. I understand that we spiritual gift tests are nice and all that kind of stuff, and that has its place. But folks, all the gifts in the world without the desire to use them won't get us anywhere. When God empowers us and takes over us and we are seeking Him and asking Him to empower us, the result of that is that we will begin to live out the purpose He's got for us. And let me give you one other hint. Find some people who are burning. Find some people who are burning for Jesus and get around them. Because if you take a fire and you put stuff around the fire, what happens after a while? The stuff around it starts heating up. 
And sooner or later, the stuff around it is going to catch on fire. So find some folks who are on fire for the Lord that are boiling over and get around them. See, the problem a lot of times we have is we just hang around with people who just throw cold water on us all the time. And the fire goes out. Put another way, you can't fly like an eagle if you hang around with turkeys all the time. So get around some folks who are on fire for the Lord. And let the fire of God in them flow into your life. One of the reasons I like to take you guys on mission trips and do mission projects is because when we go out there and we're serving the Lord together, they're just some about seeking the face of God together and serving Him together that gets the fire going in us and the fire in you and the fire in me rubs together and it means the fire becomes even more intense. So get around some folks who are on fire for the Lord. And in verse 11, he says, Serve the Lord. The word serve there is a Greek word, and its root means to be a slave. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, Romans 6, 17, we're either a slave to Jesus or we're a slave to sin. Our choice. Serve the Lord. He's my master. He calls the shots, and I serve at His will and His discretion. Now, let me tell you what serving the Lord is not. Serving the Lord is not getting the Lord to serve me. It's not going to the Lord in prayer and saying, God, would you do this, and God, would you do that, and God, would you do the other. It's going to the Lord and saying, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I honor you? What do you have for me? A lot of our problems, and relational problems in particular, we'd be surprised we'd straighten out if we'd stop telling God what He needs to do and start asking God how to use us in the situation and who do we need to become in the situation. Serving the Lord does not mean that I am serving out of my own need to feel wanted, significant, and appreciated. If we're not careful sometimes, our service for the Lord is our way of trying to feel, meet a need in our lives, to feel appreciated, to feel wanted, and to feel significant. And I tell you, when you know you've gone into that area, when you and I are serving to feel wanted, appreciated, and significant, and we don't feel wanted and appreciated and significant, and so we get attitude and stomp on out the door. That just proves I was in it for the wrong reason. Sometimes God will set us up to disappoint us, to show us we were doing it for the wrong reason. Serving the Lord is not just about activity either. Serving the Lord is about maturity. Follow me on this. When I serve the Lord, I have the attitude of Jesus, not attitude. If you catch what I'm saying. You see, when I serve the Lord, but I get angry and I just stay in that anger... I nurse bitterness, resentment. I hold unforgiveness. Then I have begun to serve my unforgiveness and my bitterness and my resentment, and I'm not serving Jesus anymore. And I may be saying I'm serving Jesus, but when the joy goes out the door, I may be doing the work, but what I'm really doing is serving 
what's growing down inside of me that's eating me up. I'm not serving Jesus anymore. Now notice what he says. Serve who? Serve the Lord. Who is the Lord? Let me say three things about him. Number one, he's our creator. And let me say for just a moment, everybody in here, you are the product of the creative mind, the creative intelligence, and the creative power of God. That is one of the most basic, fundamental truths about what it means to be a human being. So if you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you don't think you're worth anything, know that you're the product of the creative mind of God. That's saying a whole lot about you. Who we're serving, we're serving our creator. And he's the one who is creating us every day and creating life for us every day if we choose to walk in what he's creating. He is our healer. Who is the Lord? He is the one who heals us. It means I got to acknowledge to him that I need healing, that I need inner healing, that I need God to step into my life and bring healing to my life. But I serve the one who is the healer, and as I serve him as the healer, he heals me. And third, he's the redeemer. He's the redeemer. In the Old Testament world, the way you redeem somebody is you had to give up something to redeem them. And Jesus gave up his life. He gave up his blood. He gave up all that he is. To redeem us. That's who we're serving. Let's pray. Lord, there may be some folks here this morning who feel like they are up at bat, but are scared to do anything. Feel like they just set up for one more failure. And Lord, you're saying, I'll step up to bat with you. I'll hold the bat with you. I'll be the eye and vision to place your life where it needs to be placed. And I will empower you. Lord, help us to give ourselves to you. And Lord, we want to ask right now that, Lord, you would empower us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to ask you that you would make us as your people hungry and thirsty and desiring you, Lord. God, make us so tired of living lives that are not empowered so that we will seek you so that you can empower us. Lord, boil over inside of us. Lord Jesus, with a love for you and a desire for you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, you need to begin to experience His healing power inside of you. You need to start following Him. And as we sing in just a moment, I want to ask you to walk from where you are to where I will be and say, Pastor, today I want to follow Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. If you hear and you say, I just need to be empowered by him and filled with his spirit while we sing, ask him to fill you with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And as always, the altar is open here if you want to come and pray.
you sense the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come and join here with us. God's calling you into ministry. Surrender, yield to that calling. Lord, have your will with us in these moments, we pray. Empower us by the Holy Spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.